Hello, and welcome to the Human Instrumentality Podcast, your guided deep dive into the seminal animated series, Neon Genesis Evangelion. I'm Ian Corey. And I'm Joseph Schaefer. In this episode, we discuss the latest cut of Evangelion Death and Rebirth, uh, titled Death True 2. I don't know. With some parentheses in there. There's going to be a lot of parentheses. From, from here, here on, on out, out, yes, it's a parentheses-led TV show. <laughs> we won't spoil anything from End of Evangelion. What? End of Evangelion. Or any other Evangelion movies. Other Evangelion movies? But everything from the show is fair game because you've already seen it, probably. Human Instrumentality Podcast, Unit 14, Launch. So, okay. yeah, um, we're not going to recap the plot because that's what we just spent 14 episodes of this podcast doing. And we're not going to recap the plot of this movie because that's exactly what this movie does is recap the plot. <laughs> also, I assume by now, if if you're anything like me and you're a listener of this podcast, you probably appreciate structure. But especially after the last episode, you're probably like. Please stop trying to explain to me the events as they occur in any order. Uh, because if Death and Rebirth or Death True 2, whatever, says anything to you, it's that maybe maybe the order of events doesn't actually fucking matter. Like, <laughs> I'm going to say this. Let, let me just lead off with this. Because I guess this is me being a negative Nancy in this episode. But all the complaints that people lodge about episodes 25 and 26 that I don't think hold water about those episodes, I think do hold water for this movie. Yes. This movie, I'm going to do my best to be the good cop on this episode, but you should know that like any kind of good cop, they're bad. Uh, <laughs> and I think this movie sucks ass. I, <laughs> I, I think it is a... Um, indicative of a bad trend in the Ava fandom and culture and brand management, broadly speaking. It is the first sign of something that we're going to look at, I think, probably more than the actual content of the movie in this episode. And it's also just boring. It is a boring movie that doesn't really provide much for anyone. The if this is your first exposure to Evangelion, this movie is going to be an awful and confusing watch for you. If you are well acquainted with the show, it's going to be a repetitive and redundant watch for you. It's This is for completists only, but I would also say that the fact that it's for anyone at all is a bad sign. Agreed. So we should zoom out for a second because we just spent the majority of this podcast excluding the very first episode, talking about the show itself. And we had some conversations about the response to it, about how fans interpreted certain characters or how fans reacted to certain scenes. But I think now it's important to reset the stage for what the critical and public consensus was about Neon Genesis Evangelion after it finished being a TV show and before these movies, this movie in particular and all the subsequent movies came out. Sure. So since we're in the spirit of zooming out, let, let's just talk about the way that Evangelion as a series rolled out. Gainax screened episodes one and two in 
July before the series began airing and the series began airing in October. Even for a live action series, having your first two episodes done only three months in advance is like cutting it close. And for an animated series, that's fucking crazy. It's worth noting that there's a lot of like sort of misinformation out there about what happened to like Evangelion as it was airing. And a lot of that is because a lot of the coverage of the show in English didn't begin until after it had already been released. And you just there's still like a lot of Evangelion material out there, like official material that just hasn't been officially translated into English still. So this is a little bit of a hairy subject, so I'm just going to cover it as best I can. But Evangelion starts airing in October of, let me just make sure I absolutely know the correct dates, October 4th, 1995 on TV Tokyo is when Evangelion begins to air. It's not a big hit when it starts. Gainax as a studio had their own sort of like fan base that were eager to see it, but it was not a phenomenon when the series started. And then as it airs, it slowly begins to become kind of a thing. I think if we're looking for like a series that like, has had the same sort of effect in our lifetimes. Maybe like a good analogy to this is Lost. Mm-hmm. Like, cause Lost was not like a major budget TV series at the start. And then really like recap blog culture is what like made Lost into like a commercial juggernaut. Right. Right. And you could, you can also see some similarities between the two of them. Generally, you know, a lot of mystery building, a lot of lore being established in the backgrounds with a human center to keep people entertained from episode to episode. So you, that's a, I think a compelling analogy. Yeah. Except one of the shows is good. One of the shows is good. Although at least apparently Evangelion did have an idea for an ending at the start, even if that's not the ending they went with, even though like Lost and, and, and Battlestar Galactica is the other like big example of these like American TV series that like make overtures that they have like a, an end game in mind Mm -hmm. and then by the end are like forced to admit that there there never was an end game (laughs) the kind of perfect uh mid-2000s media in their own way because it's like well we're popular now mission accomplished (laughs) actually there was no weapons of mass destruction or a good ending (laughs) (laughs) yeah um and and cynically you could say evangelion suffers from the same Thing, right. Although I I think that's a pretty bad faith reading. Right. But anyway. As you know, both of us dis- disagree with that point of view when it comes to Ava, but you can understand why some people would have that reaction to the show. But so basically you're, you're outlining that the show grew in popularity over time. It became more of a phenomenon over the course of the running of the show. That's correct. And as it begins airing during the Lilial episode, basically, like episode 16, the series takes its turn. And the fandom speculation around the series kicks into overdrive. And it becomes a total, it's a phenomenon by the time it ends. So there's some of the misinformation about the show is that there was maybe like some sort of break in production in the middle because Anno had a, a nervous breakdown. 
that's not true. The series like didn't skip a week. They didn't even skip Christmas week. They didn't even skip New Year's Eve week. The show aired one episode a week for 26 weeks, period, which is normal for an anime. There is a narrative that at some point in time they switched its its airing time from the afternoon to late night and that late night does better for it. I can't find any concrete proof of that. Okay. I've looked. But that is like a thing that was said was that it was not popular with kids but became popular with adults when they moved it into a late night time slot. I can't find I can't find a a a primary source detailing that. I can only find unverified sources claiming that happened. Yeah, it makes a certain kind of sense. And I think especially to the American audience that sees or to anyone who like has this like conception of Ava as being like normal kids TV show that turns into psychological drama, it would follow that, oh, at some point they changed the programming and therefore that turned it into a psychological drama or that made it more popular with the audience that would be receptive to that kind of thing. Um, totally. Yeah, I, I, I would understand why someone would make that claim, even if we can't find any truth of it actually happened one thing that we know does happen is the bardriel fight causes a controversy even before the series is over because it's so violent Mm -hmm. and this was like ostensibly a show marketed to children so like the like the amount of gore and like the bleak humor in the way that they edit that episode was even in a country with a higher a higher threshold for what is considered an inappropriate amount of violence for children. That episode beat that Mm. still. Yeah. That's something context matters as well. I think in that case, it's, it is a a particularly violent feeling episode, not just looking episode, you know? Right. They, you know, there's the cut where she's like, Oh, maybe they'll have leftovers. And then you see like the severed arm in the (laughs) river. And it's like, it's not just grim content. It's grim content presented in like a deliberately provocative way. Yes. And then the last two episodes air. The last episode airs in March 27th, 1996, and does cause something of a media controversy. Op eds are written in a national newspaper. In Japan, there is like an ongoing dialogue about what the fuck happened with the ending. Gynex receives death threats. Uh, <laughs> well, hold on, because the, there's the death threats thing is a, is a bit of misinformation too. Interesting. It, okay. It, there's a, there's and we'll, we can get into that later. So let's hold on to the death threats. Right. I think the thing that people don't talk about, but that is important, is this: the first two episodes get released on VHS. I think near the end of the series premiering mm-hmm. near, like if not after episodes 25 and 26, then like in the, it like we're already deep into the dark third arc when the first piece of like merchandise for the show that you can buy ships, mm-hmm. it sells out immediately instantly. Even though, like, the series has this sort of slow build, rocky start, and it's more controversial, and, like, it's driving everyone who's making it crazy, maybe Otto most of all, it's immediately clear that it sells, like, gangbusters when people have the opportunity to just exchange money. <laughs> yes. <laughs> Some things never change. <laughs> and here, I think, 
is how you get death and rebirth. Yes. Is because no matter how psychologically traumatized Hidekiano is, and no matter how overworked everyone at Gainax is, the first indicator is, well, you're rich now, boys. <laughs> what do you want to do? And I assume someone has the bright idea of like, make some fucking more. <laughs> Yes. That's exactly what we're going to do. And that is exactly what they did. Uh, this is the beginning of Ava as a commercial entity. We've mostly tried to discuss this TV show as a work of art, as a work of fiction, allegory, etc. But right. it would be dumb and naive, I think, to ignore that from this point on, Ava is not just a TV show that we love, but a brand and a iconic set of images that are going to be repurposed and reused and attached to all manner of other commercial objects in order to make money. And this kind of looms over, I think every version of Evangelion that happens from this point onward, but it is at least to me most glaring when it comes to death and rebirth. So death and rebirth from what I understand, and please, Joseph, if you've got more research on this, correct me if I'm wrong, is released a year following the end of the show. Is that right? Almost to the day. And in its initial aired version, it's essentially two objects. On one end, it has death, which is like a recap or re-edit or retelling of the TV show. And then Rebirth is this teaser of new content, new Evangelion content that some fans and including, I think it's sort of presented this way is supposed to be like, well, you wanted to know what really happened at the end of the show. Here's a hint at what really happened. Right. I, I was going to, I was going to save this, but like, it, let's just get into it now. We know that there was like an original ending to the series that that doesn't make it into the last two episodes. That's obvious. Mm -hmm. Like the sh the show makes all these overtures to things that are going to happen at the ending that don't happen. I don't think anyone, even when you're watching the show, even if you like the ending, probably would think there's nothing about the last two episodes that makes you think, ah, yes, this is the plan. Right. Right. It doesn't it doesn't logically follow from the show that you've watched. I'm on record saying that I think it's a brilliant ending. We both enjoy the ending, but it's clear that other endings are possible. Right. And and Anno did Anno and um the other primary director of the series Kazuya Tsurumaki, they they like both like went on the media on record in like trade magazines and like in interviews and defended like episodes 25 and 26 as they were mm -hmm. that they were like, they both were like, yep, we think it's good. We like the ending. This is the ending. Right. However, when they were acquiring funding to make Evangelion, basically they published sort of like a preview magazine that you can't buy it anywhere, but full scans of it are available online that try to sell the show to investors that begin with like, this is why people like giant robot shows. Like the series was intended to be a commercial entity from go. Mm -hmm. Right. And they do show you some production art for many of the angels as 
and some angels that didn't make it into the show and give a brief overview as to how they see the series ending. And the idea being originally there are 28 angels. I think Kaoru being an angel isn't in the booklet. And originally the idea was human instrumentality would begin and then there's all this like imagery of the moon, right? Mm -hmm. The last 12 angels would attack all at once from their like hiding place behind the moon. Maybe this is why they're called apostles because there's 12 at the end, the 12 apostles and the Ava pilots need to make this like last ditch, last hurrah, like for mankind to continue, mm -hmm. right? So we know that they had this, this other idea. And to Anno's credit, he's never said he would make a sequel series. Even though, like, a second season of a show is, like, more of an American phenomenon than a Japanese anime phenomenon. Like, most of these shows are planned with distinct beginnings and endings. Right. The only exceptions are really ones that are adapted from manga, in which case they're sort of following the lead of the comic until that runs out and mm -hmm. perhaps beyond depending on the commercial success thereof. Uh, we could talk about Dragon Ball, the Dragon Ball franchise all, all day and the way that it goes like back and forth from like manga to anime and, and they become this weird hybrid entity. Mm -hmm. But yeah. So to his credit, Ano, like it at no point in time is he ever like, I'm going to make Evangelion season two, but they do announce that they're going to do two movies and death and rebirth is the first of these movies. I would briefly like to clarify that when we're going to talk about death and rebirth, we're talking about the most recent version of death and rebirth. Um, which as I mentioned at the top of the episode is at least on Netflix titled death true Two or death true squared. It's, it's kind of, there's a lot of uh, lack of clarity about exactly what all these different versions of death and rebirth are, uh, like what the differences are, what, what makes one better than the other. I was joking with Joseph beforehand that it kind of reminds me of Blade Runner, you know, where there's all of these yeah. different variations of director's cut, super duper director's cut, exclusive, all final version director's cut. It just, at a certain point, you just have to accept that there's some core version of the movie that at least in common parlance, we should be talking about. And this is the most popular version because it's on the biggest platform. So anything that we're going to talk about when it comes to death and rebirth starts with death true Two or whatever the fuck it's called. Sure. So, and also if you haven't seen death and rebirth, I don't think it's necessary to watch it, but if you have no idea what, what it contains, let's just be perfectly clear. There's very little, like, new, there's no new plot and almost no new footage in in Death and Rebirth. It's basically like an hour-long supercut of the first 24 episodes of the show. Mm -hmm. There Now, it, it is worth noting that at the time of airing, when the movie first came out, some of this footage was new, like more of this footage was new than uh, it is to us now, but a lot of this new footage or extended footage actually got rolled back into the show itself. And that's what we refer to as like the director's cut version of Neon Genesis Evangelion. It's 
all now at this point considered basically to be part of the actual core show. It's all the versions of the episodes that you've seen on Netflix. So again, I would understand that this is maybe a bit more of a novel media entity at the time compared to what it is today. But for all intents and purposes, almost like 99% of the material in this movie will not be new to either you or to us as recappers. Correct. It also like totals to like less than five minutes of footage, I think. And of that, like of that footage, almost all of it is in the quote unquote director's cut episodes of the show, which explains how there can be director's cuts, quote unquote, of a show where the director had final cut. (laughs) (laughs) Yeah. Director's cut two, more cuts. (laughs) Like (laughs) director's cut three, no cuts. (laughs) The whole series as a one shot. Don't give him any Um, ideas. Well, okay, we'll get into giving Ono ideas here later. Um, if you're like listening to this and you think like that this is like a cheap and cynical way to get money from people, I think you're correct. I I kind of hold death in contempt for that reason, mm-hmm. even though like I like the new footage, like I like that they like gave you a little more of like the prog knife fight between unit one and unit two and like that he made the elevator scene longer as we talked about the elevator scene Mm -hmm. but in Otto's defense not that i'm in the business of defending heartless capitalists but in Otto's defense the anime supercut movie is not an original idea that they came up with there's like a history of these things happening, even though in that tradition, death and rebirth is still an outlier. Mm-hmm. I think the most famous versions are like the original Mobile Suit Gundam series was recut into three movies. And like the general fan opinion is that the movies are a much more watchable version of the show they cut a lot of like b plots and filler episodes because like mobile suit gundam's first season is twice as long as evangelion Mm -hmm. is Mm -hmm. and but they still it still comes down to four and a half hours of of movie out of it but it makes the end at least it makes like specifically like the first arc and the last arc of the show much more riveting to watch it that way so i guess i can forgive them for saying okay let's do a recap for them of the show as one movie for everyone who missed it the first time around they're gonna have some context going into end of evangelion the second movie which is all new shit right but death fails at that yes (laughs) so i think we should look at death as maybe two different projects that are contained inside of each other the first is the idea that it is meant as a recap to bring people up to speed if they had not watched evangelion in that respect it is an absolute failure (laughs) um let's briefly talk about the way that this movie is structured initially it opens you know with by showing us the footage of second impact like the lab footage of second impact so you're thinking oh cool they're doing a chronological retelling of evangelion nope (laughs) No, no, girlfriend. You thought um, it's not going to go that way. No, it is a jumbled, almost like free associative version of the plot of Evangelion. 
loosely structured around the idea of a string quartet rehearsal. So the newest, the only footage that never ever got reincorporated back into Evangelion is the string quartet rehearsal footage that sort of blocks the chapter breaks in this recap where Shinji, Asuka, Ray, and Kaoru in that order show up for a string quartet rehearsal in the auditorium, in the room that the last two episodes of the show end in, you know, the, mm-hmm. the stage that we, we talk about being as so like symbolically important in those final two episodes, this is all taking place in that room. And as each character arrives and starts tuning and practicing their instrument, we get a version of parts of the show told loosely from their perspective. This is such a confusing way to present the plot. It's completely out of order. The leaps are often, uh, the the edits are often made sort of askance. Like someone will mention a character for the first time and then will immediately cut to their backstory instead of continuing along with a like a plot or a, an individual arc. It jumps around a lot, and especially in the Ray and Kauru sections. It's completely free associative. You could I, I think that the Oscar one kind of holds up as a interesting essay about her character, but sure for the most part I don't think there's really a an authorial voice to a lot of this structure. Most interestingly, Kaoru shows up well before he should be there in the plot, and then immediately you get the 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 Toji Bardriel arc, mm-hmm. and it's like, why on earth would you do this? <laughs> so. I think, and again, I'm 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 attempting to be the good cop here. There's some logic to this, which is that it's not a performance of a string quartet; it's string quartet rehearsal. So, right, and end of Evangelion is the performance. Yes, I I get it. Sure, and so all of them are basic. Like this to me is a is not a productive performance but it's a good productive band practice you know like both of us are musicians so i think this is like an an analogy that we can kind of grab onto it's like yeah sometimes you have a band practice that stops and starts and jumps around doesn't necessarily you're not playing the set from beginning to end but you had a productive band practice because you worked out a bunch of different kinks and like kind of zoomed in on a lot of specific moments to help like brush the dust off and like get the rust out of your system and now you're ready to actually play the show that's what this feels like. Is it sort of like Evangelion being like, okay, yeah, right. Elevator scene, uh Bardreal fight, you know, uh, Shinji's right. sexual frustration. Like, just like, yeah, yeah, yeah. Just working over all the licks. And then we're going to get ready to actually show you what we're here to show you. It's also worth noting that like when, when death and rebirth originally aired, it came with like the first bit of end of Evangelion as it's, final arc right this is the rebirth section and then that footage is just used again in end of evangelion yes uh <laughs> so it rendered, we're not like, going to talk about totally it here like... we just want to talk about end of eva as end of eva and it's 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 something and kind of deserves to be taken in its entirety so that's why we're cutting that chunk out and putting it somewhere else right i think that if if you're going to be charitable one of the interesting techniques that they use to retell the story, and I think this this ties into the second goal of death, which is that 
it's actually making an argument to people who have already watched the show about the nature of the show. Which is that because we have this place where there is this sort of like controversy and discontent with the final two episodes, death is here to say, look, even if you hate the last two episodes, you got to admit that episodes one through 24 were pretty dope. (laughs) And it's structured in that way because none of the very little of episodes 25 and 26 make it into this recap. So instead it's saying, look, all of this was a complete story. And in order to show you that we're going to jump from a character's beginning to their end back and forth. And we're going to show you where something starts and where something ends up. You know, we get Shinji first seeing Ray injured on the, the deck of the, uh, the launch pad and then looking at the Ava and getting in. And then we immediately cut to him crushing Kaoru or we get Asuka's introduction immediately cuts to her suicide attempt. And it does that sort of stuff constantly throughout the movie. Sure. I think that's like the, the most charitable way of looking at this is it's basically telling the audience like, no, trust me, this is a good show. It had a complete story. We gave you everything you need. Just trust us with this. It's placating the fan base, you know? In a weird way, I think I have a different interpretation. I think of it as almost a thought experiment of people saying the last two episodes were nothing like the first 24. And maybe they sat back and said, hmm. So what if the first 24 were like the last two? (laughs) And then this is what you get. Yes. Yeah. Totally. Is is there? I'm just going to put a, 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 a an appeal out there to to the prospective audience. If any of you like saw Death and Rebirth as your first taste of Evangelion, please write to us and let me know what that's like. And also, I'm sorry yeah. that that happened to you. I, uh, there must be at least one. You know, at least one person listening to this that must have happened because, as you pointed out, I think before we started rolling, this movie made a lot of fucking money. <laughs> Yeah, so Death and Rebirth, some total box office of all of its versions, which, by the way, multiple got, like, theatrical release, Mm -hmm. by the way. Almost 2 billion yen. And, like, a a yen is more like a cent than a dollar, but that's still something like $20 million for a remix of shit you already did. Yeah, for an anime That's yeah, that's that's a lot of fucking money. And um, End of Evangelion is going to make even more. Yes, uh, this if it was an act of placating the audience, I think it worked like gangbusters um, because mm-hmm. people clearly had way more appetite for Ava than this movie gave. This did not satisfy anyone's appetite is what I'm trying to say. And end of Ava didn't because there's even more movies that we may discuss at some point. I think, Oh, for God's sake, the rebuild movies. Okay. Well, I've been trying purposefully to not talk about them, but like it's, it's hard. Yeah. It, it's, I haven't watched them in a long time and I don't know what I think of them anymore. I, I would like to give them a shot. We haven't really been discussing them because they're just a different thing. They're a different, they, they're, they belong to a different audience they belong to a different time, to different production companies. Oh, that's something that we should note, is that you can kind of tell the biggest difference between watching 
Neon Genesis Evangelion the show and watching Death and Rebirth is how many fucking production companies get a credit at the beginning of the movie. <laughs> oh my god. And the end credits is like six minutes long. <laughs> it like it took so many people to make what is essentially like a YouTube music video. Right. Yes, no, it's totally a YouTube video. I was going to say, like, it's it feels like almost like showing a how-to for Evangelion fans to, like, here's how you can re-edit our show. Here's how you can, like, make AMVs with Evangelion. You can do these sort of cuts to it. It's It would be, I would almost prefer if this was, like, a fan-made object, you know? Like, that would be sure. really interesting. But instead, it's this, like, quick cash in that somehow like Sega is making money off of like what this is like can you imagine if in like 2000 for some reason Microsoft released a friends movie <laughs> there you go that was just like all of Chandler's greatest hits, but played out of order. And that movie became like the third highest grossing domestic cinema product of that year. The one with That's the gummy plugs. That's what this is like. <laughs> I need a Rachel haircut and a dummy plug. <laughs> oh, God. Oh, no. Um <laughs> Yeah, this is this is a commercial product, and I think to ignore that would be to to ignore that whole side of Evangelion. Like, look, Ray show, has showed up on Doritos bags. There are planes with Asuka's face on them. Like, Ava shit is just crazy fucking popular, and they've, for good reason, it's a really good TV show. But once you are successful, weird shit happens, like death and rebirth. This is, it's not, I'm tr I'm still trying to find ways to, like, explain the parts of it that are good or interesting you know i think the uh, the reason i like the oscar section is because that chapter has a point of view in how it recuts the show because it's presenting it all basically from the perspective of oscar as she's dying as after she's committed suicide it makes all these cuts back and forth from her in the tub to her remembering like the contrast between like Shinji being good at piloting her failing all the, it's all of these sort of ways that she would remember her own life in the show. That's kind of cool. I really like that. Like as a character study, that's like an effective argument about Asuka, but the other, I feel like the, the problem is that the other chapters don't have that same kind of like clear eye on what they're trying to say within each chapter. Does that make sense? It, it does make sense. I mean, it... <sighs> okay. Issues I have with the way that Death and Rebirth presents the story. Part of my issue is that not only is it, like, not good at, like, even explaining the premise of the show in a way that is remotely sensible, it omits serious things that to me are like central to the show. Mm -hmm. I didn't realize before this is your first instance of them trying to retcon the Kaoru Shinji romance out. Yep. Yeah, you're right. None of that's in death and rebirth. Mm -hmm. That's enough to throw it right out. As far as I'm concerned, you get very little Misato in this. And 
part of the reason why the Asuka section works is because Asuka is a well-written character within distinct boundaries who has like, like the show has a lot of clarity about who Asuka is, her goals, strengths, weaknesses, the way she grows, the way she shrinks. Mm -hmm. They understand Asuka very well. They still don't understand Rey. I'm really frustrated with the way that they present the Rey story. It makes no sense. And you get the Rey story instead of getting what makes Misato work. Now, to me, the issue is that they show almost all of the interesting stuff about Rey, but they show it in a weird order. Like they give us the fact that she's a clone. They appropriately imply that she's a clone specifically of Yui. They give us the idea that Yui's soul is in unit one. They give us all of that through edits, but they don't tell it in a way that actually improves your understanding. Like you have to know that stuff going in to understand that's the leaps that they're making in the cuts. Right. Whereas if they just like presented a version of Ray's story with the mystery removed, it actually could have done a service to the fan base. Like if they were just like, let's start at the beginning with Ray. So that means we have to start with Yui we go to Yui's death, then we get the Ray clone, etc. Ray clone dies, and then you get Ray two fucked up. They fight Ramiel, mm-hmm. and then you get Ray Ray clone sacrificing herself, and then you get Ray three. Yeah, like it. That would have been in a way much more useful, right? And would also explain the arc of that character in a in a similar way. the The problem is that. Asuka has a plot line that could exist outside of Evangelion, you know, or outside you could, there's a version of Asuka's life where this is just a part of it, you know, like she's a complete person that has relationships outside of the, outside of the, like the characters that we know in the show that inform who she is in this moment. And then this is what happens to her in this section of her life. Same thing with Masato, same thing with Shinji to some extent, Ray only really exists in the show as a way of making a lot of interesting philosophical arguments and bringing about third impact and forwarding the plot of the show. And which is funny to me because she's far and away the most popular character. Yes. I, very weird. I don't get it, but very weird. <laughs> you know, it is what it is. I, I can't, I can't psychoanalyze the fan base any more than I already have. I would only say that like, it is a, a failure of the show uh, or of this movie to not treat her story in this movie as like a way of explaining what they were actually getting at. Like it doesn't do anything for anyone. It's not like an interesting essay about the character and it's not an explainer. Right. I'd like to pivot and point out, point out one other thing. Mm-hmm. While I'm frustrated with what they do with Kaoru in death and rebirth. I, I think it, it does make one fundamental change to to the story to some extent or is like a a tacit admission of what i see as like an issue with the series Mm -hmm. that like other tellings of the story have gone out of their way to to repair you get kauru way earlier in death and rebirth and in every subsequent telling of the story that is like an attempt to tell the original series Kaoru comes in early. Mm-hmm. So maybe we should, maybe I should un- unpack that. There's a bunch of like Ava material that is a retelling of the 
plot in like video games in like side comics i think like there's even like a version of the story that is the weird episode 26 reboot where it's like a teenage rom-com right they just tried to do that it's like school days or something like that or, yeah. yeah that's right and and gendo still the bat becomes the bad guy by the end i get i've never i'm not a deep enough Ava fanboy to have sought out like all this supplemental material, like the various video games. One of which I think is a dating simulator. No, I don't, I want no part of that. (laughs) No, no, thank you. Fuck. No. But you know, I bet, I bet Anna was like, money, give it to me. The, the two main like alternate retellings of the story that we get are character designer, Yoshiki Sadamoto's, manga version of the story Mm -hmm. which when death and rebirth are being made he's still working on the asuka part wow like he's working yeah oh this is good because we haven't talked about this in a while we brought it up early on um in the podcast and you may have noticed that we kind of left it behind because the show basically left it behind so (laughs) it's but it's interesting because it's it's he never stops working on it until it ends in November 2014. What the fuck? Yeah. It took him that long. There's like two year breaks between like volumes of the comic. Gotcha. Wow. Yeah, that's that's a totally different story then. Well, there's as we'll see, it incorporates a lot of death and rebirth. Mm-hmm. Uh, it, it incorporates a lot of end of Evangelion, I should say. Right. OK. And one of the change there's. Some things from Death and Rebirth were, are instrumental. So, for example, Death and Rebirth omits Lilial entirety, entirely. Even though, like, I've come to the conclusion that that's, like, one of the most important parts of the show. Every other telling of the story omits Lilial and, like, commutes that, like, the important part of that arc to other encounters. Mm-hmm. Lilial isn't in the comic. Kaoru shows up right after Bardriel. Yeah. In the comic. Uh, I mean, I, and, I get it. It makes a lot of sense. Like you get the fake out, you know, fourth children and then you get the actual one, you know. Mm-hmm. So you get like a lot more of like him and Shinji interacting and you get like he interacts with Asuka. That hasn't happened in the show. Yeah. Not once. Right. <laughs> never happened. They never met. You get more of his weird like Ray stuff and you get like so now he's there in the in the fight where Ray kills herself and he's there like not helping Asuka when she's getting like psychically attacked. Uh-huh. So Kaoru in the manga is like a much darker figure. Now we're getting way far away from death and rebirth. Uh probably because it's such a fucking worthless piece of content. Look, it's it's just free associative and we're free associating with post show Ava content. That's the best way to look at it. Um, right. But so your your point about the fact that rebirth or death rather repositions Kaoru a bit earlier. I do like the kind of meta joke of Asuka being like, oh, my God, you're so late to practice. Like, what the hell? Right. <laughs> and it's like, yeah, of course he would be like this motherfucker would all like <laughs> such a guitarist. Uh, <laughs> Does he play a guitar? No, but. You know what I mean. Yeah, I think he's like the second violinist. Asuka's first violin, Ray is viola, and Shinji is cello, which is like, oh, interesting. 
<laughs> oh, so Shinji Shinji plays bass and Asuka takes all the solos? Yeah, yeah I would imagine so. <laughs> That's correct. That is that is the correct rock band formation of the Ava pilots. Mm-hmm. Um I would argue that if they were like in true like heavy metal, like if if the Ava pilots were a grind band, raise the emotionless metronomic drummer and Kaoru is just there playing noise and like <laughs> amping the crowd up. Right. He's Blake from Pig Destroyer, I think. <laughs> well, I mean, definitely Ray is the drummer because you can replace her with a machine and no one notices the difference most of the time. <laughs> Except other drummers. Right, exactly. Yeah. Right. Only drummers care when there's no drummer on stage. <laughs> yeah, you're right. We're going way, way fucking afield with this. This is tough. I mean, what what value do you think at bringing Kaoru into the story earlier gives to the story of Evangelion. Like, why do you why do you like or what do you make of that fix that has happened ever since the show? His relationship with Shinji is so important, and the show does sort of like blitz through it in like a way that I find slightly less than satisfying. Even though, like, so in anime age polls, when they like they did like once a decade, they do like the most popular episodes of anime shows ever in the one that wrapped up the 90s episode 24 of evangelion was number one Mm -hmm. of Mm -hmm. of the whole list of like all series and episode 26 with the congratulations was number three oh holy shit wow that's so cool (laughs) i think multiple other episodes of the show were like in the top 100 episode good and i'm I'm pretty sure that, like, the end of Cowboy Bebop was number two. Yeah. Yeah, of course it would be. Good end. It's, it's a great show. <laughs> great show. You're not going to hear any derision about Cowboy Bebop from me. That's not happening. I don't. I want to make that clear. Like, that was not, like, a derisive, like, yeah. It was like a, oh, of course. That's why I think more Kaoru is good. Yeah. I mean, I get it. I do think that the fact that it's all contained to one episode makes it what it is. And it's hard for me to imagine them stretching it out over a course of time. Like, I feel like at least in my mind, if they were to introduce Kaoru earlier, he would have to be kind of on the margins of the show. He, he is yeah. like, he's sort of like, he's like even weirder than Ray. It's like, it's like, there's even more like, what's this fucking guy doing? Yeah. The way I would classify his chapters, it's sort of like showing the opposition, you know? It's a lot of, like, the angels and Gendo and apocalypse shit. So he's kind of the stand-in for, like, just the the trauma of the show rather than, like, an actual perspective. That that at least was how I interpreted the, the final chunk of death edited uh, in that way. Yeah, I think that's, I think that's a good, that's a good read on it. Death and Rebirth, like, omits, like, a lot of, like, the human instrumentality, what's Zele doing, mm-hmm. what is the metaphysics stuff, which is funny to me because, like, if you want more of that, End of Evangelion's for you. Yeah. I mean, to your point about what gets omitted, uh, a lot of the psychoanalytical stuff, a lot of the interrogations, of a lot of the internal conflicts that dominated that basically became the subject of the final two episodes is not really present. Right. Um, We get a lot of the setup to it. We get a lot of the plot. We get a lot of action in death, but we don't really get the psychological core of Ava. 
Guess what? It's all coming back real fucking soon because we're going to talk about End of Evangelion next. And I, I'm really glad we got this uh, breather <laughs> in between watching the end of the show and watching End of Ava because they're both very emotionally draining in very different ways. And this getting to blow off steam by talking about a shitty like edit of the show is way less stressful <laughs> than talking about End of Ava. But yes, it's it's interesting what gets omitted in this because all of that stuff kind of makes up in some ways the core of end of Ava. Well, I don't have a ton left to say at this point, but I I'm ultimately just glad that we got a chance to collectively breathe and talk some shit about a bad movie before we watch a really, really good movie. It's certainly really something <laughs> we'll get into this about end of Evangelion, but like, I'm not certain that like the I'm not certain that the good versus bad axis even graphs onto it in a way that makes sense. Mm-hmm. Yeah, this is so if this is sort of the positive response to the amount of uh positive feedback and attention that the show got, this is the sort of like celebration of Evangelion in some way being like, Hey, you all love this TV show. Here's a movie that cashes in on your love of the TV show. End of Eva does sort of the reverse and is, um, has a more complicated legacy and just a tiny, tiny, small amount of fan service, which we'll talk about in due time. Good talking to you, Joseph. (laughs) I can't even. Thank you for listening. If you liked the episode, please rate, review, and subscribe. If you want to share your thoughts on the show or about anything really, email us at humaninstrumentalitypodcast at gmail.com. You can follow us on Twitter at another AvaPod and on Instagram at humaninstrumentalitypod. Extra special thanks to Kira Anderson for the graphics and web design. See you next week.